Hey, all of you beautiful, amazing souls. Welcome to Soul Diaries, Find Your Inner Serenity podcast. I'm your host, Irvi Shaw, founder of Inner Serenity Life Coaching. I'm a spiritual and love coach focused on helping women align with their higher self to create joy, love, and abundance in their lives. The true intent of this podcast is for me to share my spiritual journey and soul's messages with you, hence the name Soul Diaries. This podcast will focus on how you can use spirituality to help you live a more balanced life filled with joy and ease. Throughout the journey of this podcast, we will discover various topics on spirituality coupled with my experiences. If you are wondering how you can start living a happier, balanced life, follow along this journey with me. beautiful souls welcome to another episode of soul diaries discover your inner serenity today we have another beautiful guest with us priya we're going to be discussing dating relationships and everything around that um, related to uh, the south asian community and i'm super excited about this topic because i have so much experience myself but let's hear from priya what she has to say priya you want to go ahead and introduce yourself yeah hi um first thanks for having me on your podcast And um, my name is Priya. I am a family medicine physician uh, practicing in the, around the East Coast in the Northeast. And uh, I am in my, you know, early forties and I have had quite a bit of experience in dating because I grew up in a home very typical to other South Asian women where dating was not allowed. And I didn't dare kind of cross that line until I went to college. And I found myself growing up in a community where there weren't a lot of South Asians. I was one of two in my public school and there were two women and one uh, guy. And it was really just us. And it wasn't until I really went to college where I found a group of people to connect with, but I was always you know, never Indian enough for them um, because many of them had come over as international students. And I always had like a wide variety of friends. And so I never hung out with just one circle or, or one group of people. And so when I dated, I often dated other ethnicities, which did not go well with my parents. Um, and I had many, many fights with them over things as simple as someone's skin color and ethnicity or college education or lack of college education. So a lot of the things that I think many of your listeners have probably been through. And I think what really was frustrating for me was that I just never felt like I was being seen for who I was at home. And I felt like I was getting judged for things for not kind of following the family culture and the family dynamic. And I think that's where I differed a lot from my family and that I felt like it was important for me to individuate. And for them, you know, until you get married, you really don't. I remember one of the first conversations after I graduated college was, are you ready to get married? And I was 23. I had no idea of what I wanted in my life. In fact, I took a job in after college that I ended up, I ended up leaving the entire industry and going into medicine. Um, But I really had no idea of what I wanted or how I wanted to date. I had had a failed relationship in college. um, And, you know, it was just 
hard for me to imagine getting married at that age. And so I kind of went off and did my own thing for a while. And then I returned, you know, into medicine. But even then I struggled to find, you would think in medical school, there are a lot of South Asian people and there are, but I just never found someone I clicked with. And when I was in my early thirties, graduating medical school, and then getting ready for residency, I met somebody who was really lovely and wonderful in a lot of ways. And he and I eventually over time became serious. And the entire time my parents pushed back really hard because they could see that this was likely going to go somewhere. And it was really challenging for them to accept it. And he was white and I often dated white men. Um, I really wanted to date. I was very attracted and still am very attracted to black men, but that was a line that I just knew I couldn't cross. And I could not cross that line with someone of Muslim faith either. You know, my parents were more accepting of a white man than they were of any other person. And it was really frustrating because I felt like I was being forced to kind of ignore opportunities or people that I liked because I was terrified of what my parents would do. And I had seen a lot of stories of women being, you know, thrown out of their homes, excommunicated from their families. And ultimately, even with this particular person, that was pretty close to how I got with them because it got really ugly. They they didn't like certain things and he was not, you know, quote, well-educated in their eyes. He was a history teacher, a high school history teacher with a master's degree in education, but that wasn't enough for them. And there were some personality traits that they didn't like. And it got very, probably one of the hardest times in my life because it became us versus them. And it was really challenging to get through that. And then in 2016, about four months after we were engaged, I mean, let me take you back to my engagement. So my engagement was in my parents' home. Everybody showed up in formal wear. My dad showed up in a polo and black slacks and stood out from everybody. And when I asked him why he wasn't wearing Indian clothes, he said he didn't feel like it and that I was shaming the family today. So why should he be dressed up for it? Um, and it was really painful. It was painful to watch. If you've ever been to an engagement or even a wedding, Indian wedding ceremony, you know that the parents sit and say certain things and the fathers are very involved more so than the mothers. And it was painful to watch that and embarrassing because it was very clear what he was doing. And it was really sad to be able to have to sit there and endure that humiliation. And so afterwards, we, you know, we did the best we could. And internally, our, our relationship was kind of breaking up inside because our families were at war with each other. His family didn't like mine. Mine didn't like his. Um, my parents actually, in fairness to his family, my parents, my father particularly said some very harsh things when they all, the four of them went out to dinner that I found out about from his parents and actually was quite rude to them. And so, you know, I was trying to juggle being a resident and being, trying to take care of this situation and trying to people please everybody. And it just wasn't working and my health was declining. I was performing poorly in residency. I was sort of 
not in a rude way, but, you know, denied a leadership position because my program director was like, you need help. You need time to deal with this because it was really flowing in and like sort of just drowning out everything else going on in my life. And in February of 2016, I was suddenly diagnosed with an aggressive case of acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And so I had uh, returned from a mission trip for residency and was the only one not feeling well. And I ended up going into the emergency room a few days after we came back and was found to be literally dying in grave danger and being told that I had X amount of time and that they had to rush me to a higher level of care. I was taken away to a major hospital system in Philadelphia and I lived in the hospital for months and I was in treatment for a year. During that time, I, um, I lost a lot. I, my family was even more tense than they normally are. There were fights happening over my relationship in the hospital room. Um, you know, I'm sitting there trying to get through treatment to save my own life. And we have arguments happening um, over who I've chosen to marry. And at that time, I was under the influence of so many medications, including a lot of narcotics, that I couldn't make decisions. I couldn't be, I, I asked other people to make them for me. And when they would happen, my ex-fiance would come in and be like, well, why did you ask that person to make this decision? And I can't even think straight to see like how to get from my bed to the door to take a walk in the hallway, let alone making decisions. So Ultimately, about six months into my cancer journey, uh, the relationship ended. It got to the point where it was, I actually had a nervous breakdown. Um, I had had an argument with my parents again, and I, I just absolutely lost it. I just absolutely, like I wanted to die. That's how bad it was. Like I would have rather continued to go through chemo and radiation than have a feeding tube in me that I had then deal with what I was given. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because it was a very defining moment for me in my dating life. And it was at that point where I was really at the edge. And I, I had a whole plan to end my life. I was done. I was done with my therapy and my cancer. I was done with them. I was done with the lack of allyship from anybody in my family including my siblings, like nobody wanted to, to kind of mess with mom and dad. So I, I had everything ready. And I, one night in my room was in my room with my dog and I had pulled out the medication I was going to take. And my dog started whining and getting really upset and pawing at me. And she was an amazing dog. Um, and I looked at her and I, she was still new in my life. She had been gifted to me from a rescue to be an emotional support dog. And I, I just didn't know like how to let, leave her alone. And so I put everything away and I said, okay, let me, let me just think about this. I had all my letters, everything was ready. And I just felt like I needed to pay attention to the dog. And I, I slept on it. And 
I cut all communication off from my ex. I, I just focused on my recovery and things calmed down after we broke up. Um, you know, it was more peaceful in the home and, you know, I, and sometimes I, I wish I would have gone and stayed with him. But when I looked back at my relationship with him, I realized that it wasn't things that my parents were saying to me that they were upset with him about. It was stuff that I had chosen to ignore stuff that came out at the worst time when I really needed somebody to stand by me. Um, all of that kind of fell away. And in fairness to him, I think that there was a lot of stress that our families put us through a lot. But at the end of the day, I looked back on that relationship and multiple relationships. And I realized that I had been trying so hard to get away from the clutches of my parents, because as we're all told, like your parents are your parents, and then you get married, and then it's your life suddenly. And I'd been trying so hard for decades to find an escape from my misery or from my trauma or from things not working out the way I wanted them to, that I had made a lot of wrong decisions. And I can pinpoint to like well before I introduced him to my parents and say, that's when you should have left. But I didn't because I didn't have the self-worth and the self-esteem that I needed. I was running away from things without resolving them. And I think a lot of people do that. And a lot of women, South Asian or not, do it. I'm sure men do it too. But, you know, we don't solve the actual issue. We actually go and look for happiness elsewhere. And, you know, I probably could have prevented in some ways some of that misery myself if I would have ended it when I thought it should end. But I didn't. And when I looked back on the relationship after I was getting better and my mental health was improving, I decided that I wasn't going to date like that again. I was not going to date with a lack of self-worth or a lack of self-esteem or with a scarcity mindset. I was actually going to date the way I should have dated all this time. And when I eventually left, I went back to residency, finished, graduated a year late, later than what I would have. And I went on to Boston to do my fellowship. And it was a two-year fellowship in medical education. And I took a lot of time to go into therapy. I'd been in and out of therapy for a long time, but I really did the work in therapy this time around. And I had a wonderful therapist and really just focused in on everything that had happened to get me to this point. So 25, 30 years of, you know, just living in a chaotic home, living as the daughter of immigrants and all that comes with that. Um, and not really having a ton of guidance in my personal life because I wasn't supposed to have a personal life until I was going to get married. And so when I moved on, I, like I said, I did the work, but I also really started to spend time by myself. I learned to have time on my own. I learned to love my alone time. I remember times where I would get heart palpitations being alone. I would have to turn on the music. I would have to turn on something to sleep with. There was always a TV in my room once I left my home because that was what helped me. And I could not be with the thoughts in my head by myself. So that is what I focused on. Unfortunately, I went back into dating super healthy, mentally prepared, mentally healthy to do everything. 
But during my cancer treatment, I lost my fertility. So I knew for a long time that I would not be able to carry children because I'd had a bone marrow transplant and that would not allow me to carry. And so I went back out into the dating scene. And this time I dated whoever I wanted to date, whatever I was called to do. That's who I dated, whether my parents would have approved or not. And I dated several Indian men, all of whom were very nice until they found out about my infertility. And then suddenly it was their parents telling them, you know, that's a bad omen. You know, that's Nazar. You can't bring Nazar into the home. And it didn't just happen with South Asian men. It happened with a lot of men from varying different ethnicities. People did not like the idea that one, my cancer risk was higher because I had had full body radiation and chemo and a bone marrow transplant. So my incidence of having a secondary cancer is about 50% now. I've been very healthy, but that risk is still there. And I remember one guy actually, like we had dated and met, I had flown out to see him. And after about two months of talking and having me fly out to see him, he basically got on the phone and asked me a lot of questions about like, could I guarantee that I wouldn't get cancer again? Could I tell him what the risk and like the statistics were? And it was such a turnoff. And it was like, you know, if you can't take me for who I am, I can't be with you. Like that, that is not how this works. You don't get to pick and choose what parts of me you like. And so dating became a huge new obstacle for me in my late 30s. Um, my parents were incredibly worried that I would never find anybody and I'd never settle down. And, you know, Indian aunties were telling me I was past my prime. And um, I just put my head down and I dated the way I needed to date. I did not get involved very physically or intimately with people for a while. I was not that person who was even really okay with like, you know, making out or just, you know, doing sort of simple things without going into, you know, sexual activity. I just kept people at arm's distance because I did not want to get mentally involved until I had a good understanding of who this person was and wanted to take a chance on them. And that put off a lot of men too, but that was okay with me. I was rather be single with my dog than date somebody in a way that I dated previously and gotten myself into so much heartache and trouble. So this time I took a lot of liberty to give, I gave myself a lot of liberty, gave myself the ability to really just do it the way I wanted. And I met my husband and my husband is not Indian. He's white. He's from Vermont. He's like as white as white bread gets. But what I found in him that actually my parents fell in love with too, was, um, that he was very interested in promoting the culture and being involved and learning and being engaged. And I also prepared myself for their wrath in case it happened. And I stood firmly in my ground. I, I had really gained some confidence and I had sort of nourished myself in a way that if this were going to happen again, I was not going to put up with it. And I was not going to tolerate certain things. And I wasn't going to fight to make people happy. If somebody isn't happy, then that's on them, that they need to control their emotional self at that, you know, for that reason. But I was not going to cater to anybody anymore. And I met my husband at 37, 
we were engaged within about 18 months. I just knew like it was one of those feelings and he's older too, had been through relationships and we just both had come out of such painful relationships and taken the time to fix ourselves and work on ourselves that when we came together, it was such a nice unification because we had both done the work and um, we, you know, we've been, we've been together since 2018 and we had a very small COVID wedding that, you know, we were supposed to have this nice, big, fat, facey wedding, um, but it got canceled because of COVID. And, and we said, you know, we don't want to wait and we just want to be together and be able, you know, to just be a free married couple in in ways that I, I wanted to be a little bit respectful of my parents not living together and all those things. And we got married in the living room, you know, and it poured outside and there was maybe 10 people there and some people on Zoom and that was it. That was our wedding. And all the work that we did separately has paid off in spades because we have a very grounded relationship. We see eye to eye. We have similar values. And, you know, however we expand our family to include a child, it'll come with 100% support um, because he knew going in what he was getting and he embraced me fully, but it, and I'm incredibly happy, but it, it, that that's a 20 year, or I started dating at 20. So an 18 year journey or 17 year journey for me to really find my person and practice all those things. I wish I would have practiced 10 years before that. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing your story. I think the other part of it is that throughout you actually looking for your person, you're also going through medical school, also became a doctor, also then went through your challenges of um, health with getting the cancer and all that, right? And so it's like, um, and I hear a lot of girls and women like talk about this, but it's like sometimes, and especially within the South Asian community, and you mentioned this, as soon as you get, um, you finish college, it's like, okay, time to get married. We have this like list of people for you to like talk to or for you to like, uh, meet and it's like wait wait I don't even know if I want to get there and I and I know a lot of girls go through this um, within our community and also outside of the South Asian community where it's like they're they're told focus on your education and then as soon as the education is done okay now let's get married and have kids and it's for people like yourself or like even like me other women that are like aspiring to do something more purposeful outside of just being a wife and a mother there seems to be no room for that. And I feel like for you, it's like you had that, you had the career, but then you also had the cancer that came in between. And so uh, your journey is so beautiful. And I love that you mentioned how you found self-worth and that confidence within you as you were going through your journey, because I feel like that's really what pushes us forward um, in any challenge that we go through. Like, especially with with women from our community, I feel like we're not taught certain things. Like we're not taught to um, be confident. We're not taught about like what is self-worth because our moms don't even know about it. Our grandmothers don't know about it, right? Like they don't even know how to talk to us about that. Um, they're always people pleasing. So we picked up on that as, as little girls, like, oh, well, our moms and aunties do this. So we have to do this as well. And so it's like, these things are just ingrained in our subconscious. And then when we get to an age of like, oh, well, maybe I don't want to get married right now, or maybe I want to date after a few years, or, you know, we're trying to figure out life, it it all of a sudden becomes an issue for the family. And so 
Um, so thankful for you to share your story. You mentioned a lot of great things. So um, do you want to kind of break that down? What are some tips that you would say you would give to other women that might be going through challenges of dating and relationships? Yeah, I think the first thing is to come back to yourself, really, and focus on who it is that you want to be and who you are now and figure out what is the path to who you want to be. I am a huge advocate for women getting educated and going on if, if you choose to do so after college, going on to graduate school or whatever it is that they want to do. But I, I do believe that women should be educated before they do anything else. And to some degree, I'm also an advocate of trying to achieve certain goals before you settle down. I mean, from a medical perspective, when you think about the growing brain, the brain doesn't really stop growing in men and women until we're in our mid-20s. And so you're expected to take on the life of a wife and often child, you know, bearing children, which fine, your body is physiologically primed for, but we don't talk about how hard uh, maternal um, going through pregnancy is, the, the things that happen in this country in terms of maternal mortality. I mean, taking on a pregnancy is no joke. It is something that's a big thing. Your body undergoes a big thing. And it's, it's something that you should be absolutely ready and sure about. And I don't know a lot of people that are sure about that at 22 or 23 when they graduate college. So I would say the first thing you need to do is think about where you are and where you want to be. And what is your plan to get there? And focus on that for a while. If you meet somebody along the way and you're dating and it works out, great. But don't force yourself to go find a person because you feel alone or you feel like you need to meet some kind of deadline that your parents are, are telling you to. The second thing I would say is get out of the scarcity mindset in, in another way, which is you don't need to look at other people and compare yourselves. I can't tell you how many people I counsel in my office or even post on Little Brown Diary who are like, my friend is doing such and such and I'm not, and I'm not where I should be. And there's all these shoulds that we have created in society. And who, who said that? Marketing companies like De Beers Diamond Company? I mean, all of these things have been created out of into societal norms that we don't have to follow, but we think we have to follow it. And so I would say that when you when you think about dating, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Don't do it because you have to meet some milestone. I got married at nearly 39 and I'm still going to have a child. It may not be right now, but it, it's going to happen. And I'm going to be 45 or 50 anyway. I might as well live my life the way I want to live it. That's why I went to medical school at 28. I'm going to be 32 when I graduate anyway. I might as well be doing something I like. So I think you need to all women need to really think about what are their purposes in doing something? Is it really for themselves or is it because they're chasing some kind of societal expectation? And I think the last thing I want to say is that, you know, work on yourself, work on really being the best version of yourself. Unfortunately, a lot of us second generation girls go through trauma being the child of immigrants. When we have mothers who may not be educated or may not value education or may be miserable in their own marriages or live a very subservient life. And I think that we, we need to empower ourselves and embrace things like therapy and coaching and self-help books and mindset work 
to really get ourselves in a healthy place where we really value ourselves and we value the time that we put into ourselves. We value our alone time. We value who we are. We value who we are when we show up with our friends and our family and live an authentic life. Because without that, I mean, how many DC girls can, can, um, can share in the story of hiding things, being one person when they're at home and another person when they're not at home. We all do it because we're sort of forced into that. But I just encourage people to imagine the possibility of what if you didn't do that? It took me a long time to get there, but I now live a fairly authentic life, I think. And I show up as the same person in both places. I have my moments. I'm not perfect at it but I'm way better than I was even five or 10 years ago because I've chosen to live my life the way I want to live it and authentically. And I got a second chance at life. So I'm definitely going to make the best out of it. Yeah. And I, and I think that that also takes away a lot of the stress that we put on ourselves. Like when you're living this kind of double life of like, okay, I'm going to be this person here, but then I have to hide all that here. Um, it starts to become very stressful. Like it's it's not as easy as it looks. And I feel like when you can just be who you are, wherever you go, it's so empowering and it's so liberating at the same time. Like you don't have to lie anymore. You don't have to hide behind a closet. You're just who you are and whoever accepts you, accepts you because you accept yourself. And that's all yeah, that absolutely. matters. Yeah, that's, that's so, how I think we should all live. Yeah. And I know it's hard. I know it's definitely hard. I've went through my own journey with it as well. And, you know, the second tip that you gave is is right on. I feel like all of us live in this world where we're constantly um, comparing ourselves to somebody else's life. And social media has not made it easier for us now, especially during the pandemic when we're all just like scrolling on social media and seeing what somebody else is doing and like you know you might go back and you're like oh wow this person did all of this in like two years and I'm still where I'm at like what the hell is wrong with me right and so um we have to be a little bit more easier on ourselves I think and give ourselves a little bit more um grace and compassion in the sense of like whatever we're going through whatever our journey is is our journey and whatever someone else's journey is theirs like we don't know the full story and so we shouldn't assume that their life is like perfect or their life is like all like great because they're sharing certain things with us they might not be sharing the full story and we don't know what they've been going through so um I absolutely believe that comparing is like the devil like once you start comparing Mm -hmm. yourselves to other people or how other people are living, you stop living your own life because now you're living in this um, in this world where you're just doing things because somebody else did it or like a friend did it or all your friends are getting married. So I want to get married. Like that's not, it might not be the right time for you and you might not be ready for it. Like you had mentioned for yourself, like I, and I'm guilty of it. Like my first relationship that ended, I was that person all of my friends were getting engaged or married or whatever. And I was like, okay, yep, I need to do it too. Like I need to date and I need to get like, get out there. And it didn't end. Um, it didn't end nicely. Um, and I was like, pretty much, it was traumatic for me for, for many years. Like I, I went through anxiety and, and all this stuff and I wasn't working at that time. So I was kind of just doing all of the self-help for myself. I didn't even know that I could go to a therapist at that time. That was the other part of it. And so um, it's, it's absolutely, um, necessary for us to start living our lives for ourselves instead of trying to compare with other people. A hundred percent. Any final tips or any final thoughts you want to leave, leave with? 
I guess I just want to, I, I hope that my story shows you that there is no perfect age to get married. There is no perfect age to achieve something. You achieve things as they come and as you want them and as you put the work into it. Um, I never thought I would be a doctor. I absolutely hated the idea of being it. But when I was able to go out and kind of make my own decisions and not have so much chatter from other people, I was able to make good decisions for myself. And I realized that I actually have a good head on my shoulders. I just need to use it. And I need to stop comparing myself to other people and looking at other people for validation. It's all already in here. I just need to know how to use it. And so for anybody out there that, you know, wants to do something later in life and thinks that you'll be made fun of or anything, actually go do it. You have one life. You you don't know what's going to happen. You could have cancer tomorrow. You could get hit by a car tomorrow. Life is fleeting. So go live your life authentically. Go do those things that you've always wanted to do because you're not, you may not get a second chance to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that message. Thank you so much, Priya, for joining us today and sharing your story um, and being as open as possible for sharing all that you did. Um, I'm so grateful for you to be on the show and share it. And I absolutely know the listeners are going to love it. Um, we will be back in in a few weeks with another episode from another amazing person with their story and their narrative. Um, until then, we'll sign off. Thank you so much. Peace, love, and light. Hey, beautiful soul. So let me know if this sounds like you. You've been on social media, scrolling around and looking for tips and tricks on how to live a more abundant, more joyful life filled with love, ease, and flow. And you are following multitudes of um spiritual teachers, spiritual coaches, spiritual healers, maybe even mindfulness coaches, um, coaches that talk about manifestation. And, you know, you're, you're on YouTube every now and then looking at videos or searching for meditations and you Google certain things. And then you're part of Facebook groups where they talk about certain things along the lines of manifestation and spirituality and living a life of abundance and creating your own reality quantum leaps, all of these things, right? And it can be very overwhelming. Trust me, I've been there. I have spent so much time and energy on searching for the right things that work for me. And sometimes it can be over overwhelming and also contradicting. Sometimes there's information out there that is just not true. And people can say things that are contradict somebody else. And then you're kind of like confused because you don't have the guidance and the clarity to move forward on what it is that you want to do, but you are absolutely certain that you want to live a life that is different from right now. You might be living a life that's filled with anxiety, stress, maybe depression, maybe you're always in despair, maybe you're in the resistance of actually allowing the abundance to come into your life and you just don't know how to switch things off. But on social media, you can see other people that are doing exactly what you want. You can see them having a life that was filled with distress and going to a life that's filled with more peace, more flow, more abundance, and more love. Well, this is how, why and how I created Divine Souls Membership. So I created Divine Souls Membership Program for you to have one platform, one place, one portal with everything that you need to help you on your journey 
to that life filled with abundance, love, and joy. And the idea is that in this one place, you have everything that you need. You'll have meditations, you'll have journal prompts, you'll have affirmations, you'll have, you know, teachings and videos from me. You, I'll, I'll be doing workshops that you'll be part of. The membership program has four tiers and each tier is a little bit more advanced depending on where you are in your journey. And I'm going to leave all of the information in the description of this podcast episode. The best way you can find out more about Divine Souls membership and sign up is my website, which is www.innerserenitylifecoaching.com. That's www.innerserenitylifecoaching.com. And once you go to my website, there's going to be a pop-up that says enroll into Divine Souls membership. That's going to take you to a page that gives you all of the information about the membership program, the tiers, the pricing, and everything. And if you still have more questions, you're, you're always welcome. And I'm absolutely excited to talk to you more about this program. Please reach out to me. Please email me or, you know, on if you find me on social media, you follow me on social media, DM me and we can talk more about this program so I can find and maybe hopefully guide you to the to the right tier that might work for you. So if you are absolutely ready to do this, then I'm absolutely excited to welcome you into the Define Souls membership program. I'm excited to um, welcome you into the community of Divine Souls where we can all help each other, uplift each other, and create this new earth, this world that's filled with more abundance, more joy and more love, and we can support each other in this journey. I hope to see you there, and have a beautiful, beautiful day. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I'm your host, Irvi Shah. If you liked today's episode, please leave a comment and a review. That would be greatly appreciated. And please follow me on Instagram and Facebook. I'll leave my link for Instagram and Facebook in the details below. As always, peace, love, and light. Namaste.